Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the Word together. Well, when I was uh, in fifth grade, Reebok came out with these basketball shoes, right? Remember the, the pump shoes? Anybody remember those? Maybe I'm dating myself. They had the commercials, right, where the guy was on the basketball court and he was shooting shots and he couldn't make a shot and he leaned down and he just pumped, 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 pumped up his shoes and all of a sudden he was like the star of the court, right? So I was in grade five and I loved those shoes and I wanted a pair. I was convinced that those shoes would make me a better basketball player. And so I did what any 10-year-old does. I went and I pleaded and begged my mom to buy me a pair. And my mom, God bless her, she was a a single mom raising two kids on her own. I mean, there's no way she could have afforded to buy me those shoes. So she she did the best she could. She she bought me the the knockoff brands. You remember the the Byway brand? Anyone remember Byway? Yeah. But as a 10-year-old kid, if you wore byway shoes to school, it, was, it wasn't good for you. It wasn't, it wasn't good for you. But here's the thing about knockoffs is, is when you put them next to the original, I mean, they look as good, and they may look like they do the same thing. They're, they're just as fancy. They've got all the colors. They fit the same. But then when you start putting them to use, you begin to notice a difference, right? I mean, I would pump those shoes and I swear nothing happened. Like, I swear they were just making noise. And it wasn't long after that the, the thread started to tear and the soles begin to wear. Uh, you could tell that once you got past the surface, there was great inferiority in this product than the original yeah, I'm convinced that Paul was trying to deal with something very similar in the Galatian church. He was dealing with a knockoff gospel, a counterfeit gospel. Now, we read uh, last week in the Galatian church was turning to a different gospel. And Paul is writing them, telling them there is only one true gospel. And if you turn from that one true gospel, you're not just abandoning the gospel. You're abandoning the God that called you to that gospel. So you could imagine what these Galatian believers would say. I mean, they would say, well, why should we believe you, Paul? How do we know that you've got the one true gospel, Paul? And Paul wants them to know this. He wants them to know that you can tell the real from the fake. You can tell the genuine from the knockoff. That when you start to put this false counterfeit gospel into place, it will prove inferior to the true gospel. And in our passage this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Galatians, uh, Paul is defending the gospel, and in so doing, he gives reassurances of why you and I can put our confidence in the one true gospel. And that's what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know that, that we can place our confidence 
in the one true gospel. If you haven't already, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read uh, just till the end of chapter 1, but we're actually going to go into uh, chapter 2, verse 10 in our, our time together. So uh, if you have Galatians chapter 1 in your Bibles or your devices, I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to God's word this morning as I read it for us. And I am reading from the English Standard Version here. It says this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained there with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the reading of the Lord's word. You may be seated. So we began to look at the uh, Galatian church uh, last week. Uh, the Galatian region at this time is, is located near what we would know as uh, modern-day Turkey. And, and Paul uh, visited that area very early on in his missionary journey. And, and while he was there, uh, he shares the gospel with a group of people. And, and that group of believers... Uh, eventually grow and they begin to establish other churches in the Galatian region. And we know that, that when Paul was there, he preached to them a gospel of grace. That is, he preached the, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son into the world to bear the sin of mankind. He lay his life down for the forgiveness of sin, and he's resurrected after three days, securing our forgiveness, our redemption, and our restoration unto God. We know that, that Paul preached that this salvation is available for all who believe and trust and depend upon the work of Jesus for their salvation. And the good news is that it's all by grace, meaning that salvation comes to those who believe as a gift from God. You, you, you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You cannot work for it. You cannot pay it back. God, God freely and graciously grants salvation to all who call on his name and profess faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Now that's the gospel that Paul established here uh, when he was there. But after a few years, uh, we find out that actually some false teachers infiltrate this group of believers 
And they start preaching a gospel of works. A gospel that says, yes, Jesus died for your sins. Amen. Yes, yes, absolutely. You have to place your faith in him. But, but here's, there's work now that you got to do. You got to earn his forgiveness. And you got to work to keep his forgiveness. And Paul didn't tell you, but there's actually a list of ritual days that you have to follow. And there are foods that you have to abstain from. And, and, and men, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you want God's forgiveness, well, you're going to have to be circumcised just like Abraham was. Maybe we, we fast forward it to, to modern day and they would be teaching something like, yes, yes, absolutely, faith, trust in Jesus, absolutely, you're forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you gotta earn it. So you gotta be baptized and you gotta become a member of a church and don't forget to tithe and, and make sure you stay away from bacon and pork chops and pork ribs or else... You're no longer forgiven, and half of us are out the door already, right? <laughs> so we see why Paul was writing to them last week. Remember, we saw it there in verse 6. Look again. He says to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying there are some among you who are troubling you and distorting the gospel. This is not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of grace. And the question, no doubt these Galatian believers would ask, as we said, is, well, well, how do we know, Paul? Like, how do we know, Paul, that you are preaching the one true gospel? How do we know that your gospel is the truth? And, and listen, I think that's a fair question to ask. Like, if anyone claims to have absolute truth, will you have every right to test that claim? I mean, gone are the days when we can just tell people, just believe because I told you so. Gone are the days when you can tell people, just believe and don't question it. That's never going to work. Rather, we should be like Peter who says, always be ready. Always be ready and willing to give an answer for the reason of your hope. How can we have confidence in the gospel? And that's what Paul starts telling us today. How do we know the difference? Well, here's the first thing. You can have confidence in the source of the gospel. That's where we draw our confidence from this morning. Place your confidence in the source of the gospel. And listen, Jesus Christ is the source of the gospel. Right? I mean, you look at what Paul says in verse 11 there. That's exactly what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us the source of his gospel. He says in verse 11, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me, preached by me, is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So the question is, well, where did this gospel message come from that you're preaching? Was it created by man or does it have a divine origin, right? Origins is the issue here. Where did this message originate from? And in fact, those of you who are following along in your NIV Bible, you'll notice that that verse is translated that the gospel was preached by me is not of human origin. Simply meaning this message did not come from human design. I mean, origins, they they matter, don't they? We care about where things come from. It matters that we know. I mean, even when it comes to things like groceries, right? It matters to some of us that the origins of our food are, comes from local sources. Or, or maybe it matters to some of us that the source of our food, the origin is natural and organic. It, it matters to us that, that, that the animals that become our food are treated well and with dignity. Origins matter. I mean, I've noticed this even as a, as a Marvel fan, right? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, they would just, like, create movies of characters. But now, when you, when you have a superhero, you, you got to have a whole movie dedicated to their origin story, right? It matters. Listen, if, if this message is of human creation, then I understand why you can take it or leave it. I understand why you can add to it or take away from it. But if the gospel is of divine origin, that matters very much. So Paul says this. He says, I did not receive it from man, nor did... So I did not receive it from man. Lost my spot. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know what Paul is talking about there. He's talking about his encounter on the road to Damascus. I mean, he alludes to that in the next few verses there. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So here's what we know about Paul. We know that before Paul was the Paul the apostle, that he was Saul, the, the persecutor of the church. He hated the church. He persecuted the church. And he wanted to rid the earth of it. And yet when you read Acts, we, we read the account that one day as he's traveling on the road to Damascus, something happens in Acts chapter 9, right? Paul has this encounter that changes his life forever. Acts chapter 9 records that suddenly a, a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So here's what happened. The the resurrected, glorified Lord appears to Saul, and he calls him to preach the gospel. And then Paul says that for three years after, he spends it in isolation. And it was during that time he spent that Christ revealed to him the gospel. Here's a question that you might ask. Well, how do we know that Paul's telling the truth? It's a good question. Well, here's what we do know. We, we know that it's more reasonable to believe that Paul is telling the truth. We do know that not only Paul, but the disciples were actual historical people. 
And they're written about in other historic writings besides uh, the scriptures, besides the Bible. And here's what we do know. We do know that most of them died a gruesome death. Paul himself is beheaded for preaching the gospel that they claim came from Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, put up your hand. How many of us would be willing to have our heads severed for a lie? Now, let me ask you this. If they are lying, what what did they profit from lying? You and I have lied before. Maybe I should just speak for myself. I'm assuming we've all lied here before. But when we lie, we always do it for self-preservation. We've always benefited somehow from the lie we told, right? Now, I've told some doozies in my day. And I would go to lengths to cover up that lie. But these men, we find out and read, were ridiculed and stoned. They lived in poverty. They were falsely imprisoned. Ultimately, most of them gave up their life for the gospel. So either they were lying and they wasted their life on a lie and gained nothing from it, or is it more reasonable to believe that they were, they were telling the truth? They did, in fact, see the resurrected Lord, and he did, in fact, tell them of the forgiveness of sin and eternal life and, and, and called them to share that gospel. And what they gained in Christ was far greater than anything they could lose in this life, and they were willing to give it all up for the sake of Christ and the cause of the gospel. What sets the true gospel apart from the rest? Here's the reason we can have confidence in the one true gospel is because Christ is the source of the gospel. Paul preached a gospel of grace and mercy, a gospel that said you cannot earn, that you cannot work for, a gospel of forgiveness given to any who would trust in the mercy of God. And and here's the real test here of whether or not Paul's gospel is Jesus' gospel. Did Jesus preach the same thing? Of course we know he did. I mean, isn't this what Jesus preached in the parable of the prodigal son? Right, the son who rejected and rebelled against his father, left and squandered his life in sin and immoral living to, to wake up one day wanting to go back to his father's house. And, and when he gets to his father's house, he doesn't find an angry father sitting there with a, with a list of things that his son needs to do in order to make it up to him and be accepted back. No. He finds a father waiting and looking for him and running to him with open arms and preparing a meal to celebrate the homecoming and royalty shown in royal sandals and garments. His son that was lost is now found. Isn't this what Jesus taught in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee in the temple thanking God for all the good things that he has done. All the tithes that he has paid. All the times that he has fast. All that he's so faithful to his wife. I do this and I do that. I've done this and I've done that. And then Jesus shifts the scene to a sinful tax collector. 
so ashamed of his sin, he, he won't even enter the temple. And he isn't boasting about any good works because he doesn't have any. All he does is kneel on his face and he beats his chest and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away forgiven. He went away justified and the other man did not. Why? Because one was trusting in his works and the other cast himself on the mercy of God. Paul's gospel is the same gospel that Jesus himself preached. That's why we can have confidence in it. Jesus is the source of the gospel. Here's the second reason we can have confidence. We can have, we can have confidence in the gospel. We can have confidence in the impact of the gospel. The true gospel, it impacts lives, right? And the impact of the true gospel is a transformed life. I mean, isn't that what Paul is pointing us to in these next verses? He's telling us who he was before he knew Jesus and who Jesus has made him today, right? Look at what he's saying there in verse 13. He's telling his story. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, the question is, how can a man who hated Christ and hated his church, how, how can a, a man who violently sought to destroy the church of God now become the greatest, most influential voice for Christ in his church? How does that happen? Why would a man leave a life of success and power and prestige, right? Paul says, I was advancing beyond many of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Think about that, promotion after promotion, prestige, respect, admiration, and he gave it all up to preach the gospel. Why would he do that? What would make a man give up everything he has ever known and worked for? That's the impact of the gospel. The greatest defense, the greatest proof of the truth of the gospel is the transformation that the gospel produces in the lives of those who put their faith in it our changed transformed life is the greatest argument for the truth of the gospel nothing argues more forcefully for the reality of the gospel nothing makes the truth of the gospel more real to others nothing brings the power of the gospel closer to others so that they can see it and even touch it and our life that has been changed by the power of the gospel is the best argument for the truth of the gospel i was reading this week of the life of rosaria butterfield a lady who, who wrote this memoir called the, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. 
And in it, she tells her story of redemption, how God used the friendship of a pastor and the prayers of her church and the truth of the gospel to transform her from a woman who is living in a same-sex relationship, a woman who is a professor and leader in queer studies and a champion of feminism. And when Jesus Christ gets a hold of her life and she submits to the truth of the gospel, she tells how God did a transforming work in her heart and life. And then now she uses that experience and her story to minister to God's people and those struggling with sexual sin. How do we explain that reality? How do we explain such a dramatic transformation? How do we explain the story of a a friend of mine who grew up and became a a gang member in in Toronto and he finds himself in prison because he gets involved in the shooting and the death of a man and he spends nine years in prison. And while he's in prison, someone hands him a Bible and he starts reading the Bible and he gives his life to Jesus. And he starts sharing the truth that he has found with other prisoners in in that prison. And nine years later, he gets out of prison and right away he heads into the, the classroom of a seminary. And today he is a church planter and pastor in the Toronto area. How do you explain that? It's the power, it's the power of the gospel. It's what Paul explains happens in verse 15. He says, I was violently persecuting the church, advancing in my field among my peers. And then verse 15, he says, here's what happened. He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, that's, that's what happens, or better yet, what has happened, right? Some of us, right? right? But, but we, we know this. We, we know this because it's happened to us. That before we were born, we were set apart for a purpose. That God has called us before we were born by his grace. And that's the thing about some conversions, right? They're, they're unexpected. In fact, you're, you seem to be going the complete opposite direction of Christ. You have, want nothing to do with him. You have this whole plan for your life. And then one day, God gets a hold of you. God has a plan for your life. And, and you didn't even know it. And he had already set you apart. He already knew your name. And he's already called you by his grace. And at the right time, in his time, he reveals his son to you. I mean, isn't that amazing? So often we describe that we found Jesus. No, no, my friend, you were the one that was lost. It was Jesus that found you. And and he revealed himself to you. He opened your eyes to see what was true all along. Maybe he's doing that here this morning. 
Maybe there's some here and you've heard the truth of the gospel a hundred times, maybe a thousand times over. You, you grew up in, in a family, in a Christian family that shared the gospel, but you've never come to it on your own. And suddenly, suddenly today, it, it all makes sense. It, it all comes together. God is revealing his son to you and you understand that Jesus did die for my sin, that he has called me unto himself, that he has set me apart for his purpose. And some of us are here, we can identify because that's our story. Some of us were staunch atheists. We hated Christ. We mocked the church. Some of us here this morning were living in sexual sin. Some of us were drinkers and partiers. Some of us were drug addicts. Some of us were living in greed and consumed with ourselves. Some of us were dabbling in witchcraft and new age spiritualism and whatever else. But whatever and however you came, the story is the same. That when he who had set you apart before you were born and called you by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to you, suddenly everything changed. And that's the power of the gospel. Our confidence is the impact of the gospel, the the transforming power of God that is available. And yet as I thought about that, I, I thought, you know what? That's not everyone's story, is it? Like some of us, some of us grew up in Christian homes and had good godly parents that taught us and demonstrated Christ for us from an early age. And we've been following Jesus since, well, I mean, as long as I can remember. And praise God for that. That testimony is no less a testimony of God's power than the other. The fact that you have never wandered, the fact that you have never strayed or experimented is a testimony of a different gospel power, the preserving power of God's grace. If that's your testimony this morning, then praise God that he's been gracious to you and kind to you to preserve you and shield you from the scars and the memories of a a life of regret. We can have confidence in the source, the impact, and the consistency of the gospel. That's our third point. We can have confidence this morning in the consistency of the gospel. The the confidence that, that throughout the generations, the gospel has never changed. I mean, you notice something interesting, that near the end of chapter 1, Paul is spending a lot of time, he's emphasizing the fact that after his conversion, he didn't talk to anyone. And the reason he's emphasizing that is because he wants to make clear that his gospel that he's been preaching has not been influenced by anyone at all. Just Jesus and him. That's why we see him say that after verse 16, when he says that God revealed his son to him. Verse 16, he says, that I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. He wants to be clear that when Jesus was revealed to him, he didn't go and spend time with anyone. His gospel came from Jesus. 
But then the tone changes a bit when you get into chapter 2. He moves from emphasizing that he didn't consult with anyone to emphasizing that when he met the other apostles, they agreed with the gospel that he was preaching. Right? We see that. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 there. He says, he says this. He says, then... After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential. He says, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So, so why the change all of a sudden? Like, why, why all of a sudden, after emphasizing the importance that he didn't consult with anyone, that we come into chapter 2, and, and, uh, and he's talking about how, we, uh, how he consulted with everyone? So what's the difference? Well, think about this now. Paul says it was after 14 years, right? It wasn't until 14 years after Paul's conversion that he starts talking to them. So for 14 years now, Paul has been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and he hasn't talked to any other apostles. And at the same time, during those 14 years, Peter is also preaching the gospel. And so now both sides come together, and they both claim that they have received this gospel from Jesus, that Jesus taught both of them the gospel. So what would happen if Paul, for 14 years, was preaching uh, the gospel from Christ, but then met these other apostles, and they found out their message was different? Do you get it? Somebody's lying, right? It would mean, in the very least, that one of them was wrong, or both of them were lying, because if you claim to be preaching the gospel that came from Christ, and I claim to be preaching the gospel that came from Christ, well, then those messages better match or else. And what Paul is saying is that for 14 years, I didn't talk to any of them. And then when we came together, what we found is we were, in fact, preaching the same gospel. There is a consistency in our message. Right, that's what he says in verse 7 of chapter 2. You see it, he says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the uncircumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. The same Christ that entrusted the gospel to Peter is the same Christ that entrusted the gospel to Paul. See, this is important. Why is this important? It's important because opponents of the gospel, even today, will claim, how do you know that you're preaching the same gospel? I mean, through all these years, all these centuries, obviously the gospel has been muddied. How can you be so sure that what you're preaching is the gospel? We can be confident because our message is consistent all the way through the generations. All we have to do is look at the early church creeds. And I'm not talking about the Nixine Creed or the Apostolic Creed, but the creeds that were in the very first century church. We have record of them. See, they didn't have Bibles, and they didn't have writings. And so when they taught the truth of the gospel, they taught them creeds because they were easily to memorize. So, for instance, we have a creed in 1 Corinthians 15. Hopefully, it'll be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, this is recognized as a creed in the original writings, the way it's marked out. 
Paul says this, this is the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's a creed that the first century church repeated. And the basic points form the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on on the third day. And and this is found in one of the earliest letters of the New Testament. It's believed that Corinthians was written no more than 30 years after Jesus had ascended. So 30 years. This creed has been circulating through the first church. This is how they shared the first gospel. And then we can compare that with Peter's writings, right? Peter had a letter as well in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. There's a creed that Peter has in his, his letter as well. It says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteous, righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So important. Again, this is a creed that is marked out in the original writings and there's a consistency to the message, the truth that taught about what the first church believed was the gospel. This is of extreme importance. I, I'm, I'm sharing apost- um, apologetic truth here with you. This is of extreme importance for you and I. We can be confident in the consistency of the gospel. That the same gospel that Paul was preaching and believing. The same gospel that Peter was believing and preaching. The same gospel that was holding the first century church together. Is the same gospel that you and I are believing and preaching and building the church around today. So important. The gospel has not changed. It's remained the same down through the generations. There's a consistency to the message. And yet you notice what happens when these men come together and they realize they've been preaching and believing the same gospel for all these years. Notice they become unified in mission and purpose. See, we can have confidence in the gospel because there's unity in the gospel all right, look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. See, the gospel, the, the true gospel, it creates unity amongst brothers and sisters in the Lord. We see that Paul was given the right hand of fellowship. And, I, and, and in the churches that I grew up in, this was a, an old tradition that some churches do to welcome people into membership and fellowship. It's a, it's a symbol of strength and unity, but it has its roots here where the apostles are affirming the, the unity between these two groups. There's no competition here. We're both building the same kingdom. No pride, no egos. We're on the same team. Praise God who in his grace and his kindness is doing a work through both of us to reach the Jews and the Gentiles. There's a unifying power in the gospel that unites people from all walks of life and all nations and all backgrounds and all ethnicities and all ages and all stages of life. 
We are here united together with people that, you know what, and under any other circumstances, we might never share a room together. But because of our faith in Christ and his gospel, we are united together in mission and purpose. And maybe you sense it too. Maybe you've been out traveling, maybe around the world or, or even around the country, and, and you meet someone for the first time, and instantly you find out they're a Christian, and instantly you find out, man, like there's a connection here. Like you're a believer, I'm a believer. You have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit. And immediately you feel united to that person in a, in a different way. That's the power of the gospel. My prayer this morning is that we would leave out of here with renewed and strengthened confidence in the power of the gospel. See, when you place the one true gospel next to the false gospels, man, they're just like, like my fake Reeboks. You can tell the difference right away. Once you start digging, once you start putting them into practice, I mean, the difference, it becomes clear. Jesus Christ is the source of the one true gospel. He's the focus and the hope of the gospel. And, and the one true gospel, it, it makes an impact in the lives of those who put their hope in it. It transforms lives dramatically. And yet we can have confidence because of the consistency of the gospel. The same message is preached way back in the first century that was building the church. It's the same message that we are preaching and believing here today. And the one true gospel, while it, it produces a unity amongst believers, a unity, a unifying power like no other. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at brandley.org.